So I am going to do my absolute best, and I will tell you, it was a it was a challenging week. I was discussing with James earlier. I said it was it was a hard week. Um, you know, usually early on, I have at least a thought and a structure of where I think this message is going, or what I think the Lord wants to do. And I'm telling you, you know, Wednesday night came and went, Thursday morning came and went, Thursday afternoon came and went, and I was just staring at blank pages. You know, and I had verses and I have, I mean, there's so much to the Bible, you know, and when you're listening and studying and singing and all this, I'm like, I have 10 years worth of stuff that I want to get out. You know, and it's not like I was looking forward to saying, it's my turn to talk. Woohoo, I'm excited. I was like, I just want to get up and share something that the Lord wants to be shared. That's all that I wanted, you know, and there's so much. And I have to encourage you, you can't live uh, on the Word of God just based on a preacher coming up here every Sunday. You know, if, if nothing else, this week I learned you cannot just come in on Sunday, come on Wednesday night, and try to live in echo. There you go. And try to grow and try to be who God wants you to be just based off of eating the food that's provided for you here on Sunday morning. So that, that, that's the first encouragement. I will tell you this as well. If anything in here, I am not preaching at you. Uh, Charlie, just kidding. I'm not preaching at <laughs> If I point your motion to you, it's just a general statement. Um, but I, this is all coming back on me. This is all something that I have felt in my life recently, you know, in my life I need to address, and I feel like the Lord has worked through that and helped me to grow, and I'm just hoping that my shortcomings, you know, my failures, my struggles, I can share a little bit of how the Lord's worked in my life. If something applies to you, don't get offended by it. Don't get hurt by it. Just say, you know what? I'm, I feel like, hey, if, if Eric's going through that, then maybe I'm going through it too. You know? and, and if the Lord can work through that situation, maybe he can work through my situation as well. Um, so that being said, let's move onward and upward and get straight to it. Uh, the title of my message is called, Thanks for Everything, Lord. Now that can be said one of two ways. That can be said, Lord, thank you for everything. Or that can be said, Jeez, thanks for everything, Lord. And unfortunately, sometimes we say it the second way more than we say it the first way. Now, as Pastor uh, David and Pastor Billy have both stated numerous times, uh, the Old Testament is a beautiful picture book, a book to illustrate how God's, uh, the will of God in many ways is applicable to us in our lives. The Israelites are a picture of the born-again believer, Wandering in the wilderness is a picture of the world, and the promised land is a picture of our spiritual promised land in our relationship with the Lord. This morning, I hope to challenge us all to overcome our ingratitude, our dissatisfaction, and our ungratefulness. Now, I... Uh, Got to step back and I got to take a pastor moment here. We're going to do a short review. It's not going to be on what I said. It's going to be a short review of pastor's message because he has gone a lot through the ingratitude of the people. Uh, and his message is through Joshua. I'm specifically going to look at what he shared in Joshua 17. I'm only going to take a quick snippet just for time, uh, sake of time. But in Joshua 17, verse 14, it says, And the children of Joseph, Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot? And one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, for as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto. We learn that the people who are dissatisfied often use why. Why can't I? Why don't I? Why wasn't I? Why shouldn't I? Why do I have to? And why do they have? And these folks were given, if you reread that scripture, it says they were given this land 
but ungrateful even in what they were blessed with. Now, on Wednesday night, I'm telling you, you got to come Wednesday nights. On Wednesday night, we had a great conversation about a number of different things, um, but some that came up, you know, between, where's Miss Cindy? Miss Cindy is, there she is in the corner, between Miss Cindy and Miss Liz and Miko. And, and if I left you out, don't feel bad. But there were certain things that came up in conversation um, that came up about, you know, complaints and came up about lack of gratefulness and, and the failing faith of the Israelites. You know, it's like, how can they see all the miracles that they saw, but still over and over and over and over again, show a lack of faith? It says, as a picture book, it's us. As a picture book, it's a lot of Christians walking in their Christian lives that have that lack of faith, that do tend to complain, that do tend to carry that ungrateful attitude. Now, y'all know that I love my alliterations. So here's my three key points for the day. The first is the attitude of ingratitude. The second is the distraction of dissatisfaction. And the last is the hatefulness of ungratefulness. It took me a long time, y'all. I was, woof. And I'm like a Googling thesaurus. I'm like, that doesn't work. Okay. Oh, yeah, that works. Okay. It took me a little bit. So when we talk about the attitude and gratitude, I want to, and we're going to stay on the Israelites because, again, it's a beautiful picture book of us, of where we are a lot of times in our Christian lives. But I'm going to refer to Numbers 21, and I'm going to go to verse 4, and we're going to jump back and forth, and you'll see why. But in verse 4, it says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because on the way, of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, why, wherefore have thee brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. So here are the Israelites, and we all know the story of the Israelites, being freed from bondage in Europe. In Europe. Yeah, they came from Europe. This is a, whole, this is a different version of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. No. Uh, being freed from bondage in Egypt, they had witnessed repetitively God's miracles. They witnessed the plagues day after day after day that he put on Pharaoh that made him allow them to be freed. Now, they were moaning how difficult the way was, how the light bread that was provided by the Lord, they, they loatheth, loatheth, loatheth. They didn't like it. They did not like that bread at all. Now, it's funny because after all those things that God had done for them in freeing them from that bondage, sending them out of Egypt, how quickly they forget how quickly they become dissatisfied with what they have right then. And it's funny uh, because I can, you know, I can relate to Moses sometimes. Um, and I'll just give you a quick example. We drive to Florida, you know, usually two, three, four times a year. And it, it's, it's an 11-hour drive from here to Marco Island. Um, now, there is a Bucky's about halfway between here and there. Praise the Lord. So it's bearable. Uh, if you haven't been to Bucky's, Google it. You'll, you'll know why. Um, anyhow. That's an awful long car drive, 11 hours straight. That's a long car drive, especially for a seven, now eight-year-old, you know, to sit in the back of a car and drive. Um, now, we do it overnight, so she sleeps most of the time. But in the moment that she's awake, what do you think I hear? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? This is so boring. Why is this taking so long? Now, I am in the front seat, you know, driving. My back hurts. My legs hurt. My eyes are all dry. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I turn around, and she's sitting in her own comfy captain's chair in the back. 
She's got video screen in the headset and watching movies. Uh, she has her book. She has her tablets, just toys all over the place. She's got a regular pillow. She's got a neck pillow. She's got this, you know, super soft fleece blanket. All those things, do you think she focuses on that? And she's like, man, I am so grateful I have this video to watch. I'm so grateful I can sleep on the way. I'm so grateful I can read a book or play with toys. Does she focus on all that? No. So look at the Israelites, and let's go back in Numbers 21 to verse 1 at the very beginning and see immediately before that ingratitude, immediately before that, what had happened. In Numbers 21.1, it says, And when King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies. Uh, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord. They made a promise to God and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. And they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. So the Israelites have this foe that by human standards was undefeatable based on the size of their crew, based on the size of their people, their military experience, all those reasons. This was an undefeatable foe. They came to God and said, Lord, if you, and this was their faith. I am, I'm believing you, God. You can do it. It's not us and our weakness. You are strong. Go do it. And the Lord did it. But that, at the end of verse 3 is where they conquer them. They utterly destroy the cities. They have overcome that obstacle through the will of the Lord. And in verse 4, immediately, they go where they're discouraged. They go where they're speaking against God. They're speaking against Moses. They're complaining about the bread that's provided and how hard the way it was. Now, it's not chapters later. It's not like a few chapters later, Israel gets dissatisfied. It's not even later in that chapter. It is literally one verse after that victory is done that that starts to come out. And they start taking for granted the things that the Lord has provided for them. Because we look back at Numbers 21.4, and to read through it again, and some of the key points is, the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way they spake against God and against Moses, and they brought, they were, they're saying, oh my gosh, you brought us out of Egypt. Why? Just to die. Lord, why did you do that? Do you think the Lord did that? No. That was their concern. That was their shortcoming. That was their frustration. And the fact is that they didn't have the perfect little world immediately after the victory. Now, in that trip, I'm going back to the trip to Florida, when we're on that trip, you better believe I bring snacks. <laughs> you better believe it. You know, when we packed that car for Florida, about 50% is clothes and suitcases and stuff, and the other 50% is food. Absolutely. And I take a big bag and box and whatever, fill it up with stuff. So when it, gets, when it comes time, I have peanut butter crackers. I got Chex Mix. I'm making some of you hungry now. I got bagels. I got granola bars. I got veggie straws. So what do I, what do I hear from the back seat? Daddy, I'm hungry. Okay. Well, what can I have to eat, Dad? Well, hey, we have peanut butter crackers. You love those at home. We have veggie straws. You will eat a whole bag of those at home. You love those. We have granola bars. They're peanut butter chocolate. They are delicious. They're fantastic. What do you think the response is? Yuck. <laughs> what do you mean, Yuck. This is a child since she was like one and a half years old. We have one of those pantries that have the wire shelves on them, right? And what are those wire shelves good for? 
Yes, climbing. And she, she was one and a half, two years old, would climb that thing and get to what she wanted to get to. But anyway, that's a tangent. But to get to the granola bars, to get to the veggie straws, to get to the peanut butter crackers, this is what she would do. But she sits in the car and she goes, yuck. I don't want any of that. What do you think she wants? Can we stop at? How do y'all do know Cadence that well? Of course she wants to stop at McDonald's. There's a Wendy's. Can we get a Frosty? Krispy Kreme hot now. Let's stop. Come on. Nope. Nope, nope. But that's, again, the attitude of ingratitude. It's in our nature. It's not something we have, like Pastor says, we don't have to be taught sin. We don't have to be taught ingratitude. We don't have to be taught these things. It is in our nature. And how quickly we, use, we lose the gratitude for things that we've been blessed with. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this point, but if we jump forward to verse number six in Numbers, uh, I'm sorry, verse number six in Numbers 21, listen to how the Lord responds. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. So I know I've been tangenting. So I think next time we're going to Florida, and I hear the my, my, my complaint, I'm just going to take a couple snakes and throw them in the back seat and see what happens. <laughs> that work? No. No thanks. Yeah, so that would probably not go over well with social services. But, all right. Moving on, point number two. The distraction of dissatisfaction. Now, another aspect of ingratitude is dissatisfaction. It's a little bit different. It's not that you're just not thankful for what you have, but rather you look at what you have and specifically think it's not enough or it's not good enough. Now, in this, I want to reference John 4, where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well. He talks about thirst, talks about not being satisfied by earthly water provided by the well. So as we go to John 4, verse 10, it says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank where thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus makes it clear the only thing that will satisfy the thirst the man has is the living water that he can provide as a savior of the lost world. Yet we hear this and we wonder why we're never satisfied with things in our lives. Why isn't my marriage better? Why aren't my kids better? Why isn't my job better? Why aren't my finances better? Now, don't get me wrong. We should always work to have a good relationship with our spouse a good relationship with our children. We should be able to strive to support our family and do everything that we can to glorify God at our workplace. And we should definitely be good stewards of our finances. But all those things, all those things fall short of the true purpose of why we're here, to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. Now, how important is that? How much should that be the number one priority in our life? It was literally the last words Jesus spoke to the disciples before he ascended. In Acts 1 verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power, speaking to the disciples, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto, uh, witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That was Jesus' command to the disciples who had followed him and to what they were to do with their lives as he left. Now, how should we go about doing these things? With a dissatisfied countenance, complaining about the work that we have to do and the burdens that we have? No, in Philippians 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without, what? Murmurings and disputings. Murmurings, murmur, murmur, murmur. We hear a lot about that from the Israelites, right? And we look at them and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe those Israelites. How could they murmur? How could they be dissatisfied? How could they lack faith? How do we lack faith? How do we complain? Knowing what we know and knowing what Christ did for us, does being dissatisfied with your worldly condition distract you from the true purpose that you have here on earth? Are we caught up in chasing other dreams and trying to be happy and striving for success, whether it be money, fame, recognition, or even love from other people? Again, don't get me wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with being happy. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a positive relationship with other people. But if your time with God is secondary to these things, if your walk with him is hindered, if you are truly distracted from being the vessel that God wants you to be, to glorify him, then the distraction of dissatisfaction is undeniable. Now, if we were dissatisfied with our Christian walk, our holiness, our sanctification, that would be totally different. We would desire to walk closer to him. We would desire to make ourselves more holy. We would desire to be more sanctified and to be used more of God. So dissatisfaction, bless you, dissatisfaction doesn't need to come of the things of the world. Our dissatisfaction needs to come with us evaluating ourselves, saying, I am dissatisfied with my walk. I am dissatisfied with the witness that I am. I am dissatisfied with the vessel. God could use me. You know, as I stood up here early and I said, look, I'm not going to get up here and say, I am a talented vessel. I am special. I am a great speaking vessel. No. No, I know where I fall short. I know that I have inadequacies. But I know that if I'm willing to say, Lord, I am dissatisfied with who I am as a human being. I am dissatisfied, you know, as who I, trying to be Christ-like as a Christian. That's what I'm dissatisfied with. So let us not be dissatisfied with the things of the world. Let's be satis- dissatisfied with how we are serving the Lord and strive and be encouraged to walk closer to Him. Now, the crazy thing is that God promises that if we put Him first, then He will provide everything that we need. Not, not what we want, but everything that we need. In Matthew 6, verse 31, you all know these verses. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Again, Wednesday night, we talked God is a God of what? If and then. God says, if you do this, then I will do this. It's not, hey, I'm going to do this, and then you do that. No, no, no. God wants us to be committed. God wants us to be holy, to be sanctified. God wants us to dedicate our lives to him. And in doing so, he is faithful. 
He is amazingly faithful to provide those things that we need in our lives. But it's not like sitting around. It's like, you know what? God, you do this for me first, and then I'll serve you. God, why don't you provide the finances and the free time? Why don't you provide you know, the ability that, 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 I can, you know, that I can speak in front of people? You give me all that, and then I'm going to serve you. That's not how it works. We need to commit to the Lord in order for God to work through us. Now, again, it's referring back to our Wednesday night study. Um, and I can't remember the exact words. Cindy was very eloquent in the way that she stated it on Wednesday night. But in... in in a synopsis, she basically said, why do the Israelites doubt God after the things that he did? After the miracles that they witnessed, they continually keep doubting God, doubting God, doubting God. And I'll say that's because it's because it's us. It's because it's you, because it's me. It's us as a collective body of Christ. How many times have God, has God come through for us in our lives, and yet when we face a challenge, we worry, we murmur, we complain? I believe it just proves what the Lord says about faith. Despite the Israelites witnessing and seeing with their eyes the miracles that were provided, they did not have the faith many of the times. Despite Peter and the other disciples walking, this blows my mind, right? Peter and the other disciples walked with Jesus. Those three plus years walked with him, watched him heal people. You know, the blind to see, the lame to walk. Watched him provide miracle after miracle after miracle. And when he went to the cross, where were most of them? They scattered. They scattered. Where was their faith? They saw the miracles. They witnessed with their eyes everything that he had done. And yet their faith failed them in the time of greatest need. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it states that now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, if you're not focused on living for the one that gave you life, then you can credit that to the distraction of dissatisfaction. Point number three, the hatefulness of ungratefulness. Have you ever felt used before? Have you ever felt like someone took advantage of you because of what you could do for them, and once they got what they wanted, they were done with you. Is there anything more hateful than that? Is there anything just more rude and hurtful and painful to go through than someone taking advantage of you? I don't know if there is. Um, I'm going to share a personal story with you. When I was about 10 years old, there was a kid in my fifth grade class. His name was Spencer. I don't know if he'd ever find, find us, but if he is, hey, Spencer. I am so sorry. I, I'm so sorry. But anyway, this is why. I just don't know where that's going. Anyway, so Spencer was a new kid, right? Because, you know, we all went to, you know, elementary school, fourth, fifth grade. How many of you all had somebody move in from out of town? Or maybe you were that kid that moved in from out of town, and you were the new kid. You know, everyone else has been there since kindergarten to fourth grade. They had five years of knowing each other and become friends. What happens when the new kid comes in? It's hard. It's difficult. So Spencer comes in uh, somewhere from out west. I, I can't remember where, but he relocates to Cincinnati. Uh, his dad took a really good job, I think, for Procter & Gamble, uh, one of those major companies in Cincinnati. So Spencer had a basement. And in Cincinnati, everybody had basements. It was like, I mean, it was like a, going to Disney World. It, it was a playroom 
times a time stand. It was fantastic. Um, I, I probably his parents were a little bit guilty or felt a little bit bad about relocating and having him leave all his friends behind, you know. And you know, with the, the relocation funds, I'm sure his dad's like, "Let's buy him a bunch of toys." So we go to his basement. I mean, he had like the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. Um, he had the huge GI Joe aircraft carrier. I mean, it was like literally like this big. Um, he had the ginormous transformer with the motorized tank, whatever it was. I, I don't even remember, but. It looked like a Toys R Us had like exploded in, the, in this kid's basement. It was amazing. So anyway, I lived a couple streets over. So I would go over to his house whenever possible. Now, I'd go over there to play in the basement and play with the toys, but did I ever ask him to come to my house? Nope. I never really talked to him much at school. I never invited him to my birthday parties. I never sat with him at lunch. So looking back, I'm, looking back I feel terrible. I mean, I'm looking back through the eyes of a 10-year-old kid, and I'm like, man, how much do you think that hurt him? How much do you think that was painful? How much do you think that he felt even worse, probably, than if I never came over to play with him at his house with his toys? But I ask you this question. Who else went through that time and time and time again? And in just one reference, if we look at Luke 17, verse 12, Says, and this is talking obviously about Jesus. It says, as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It's ten of them. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not, there are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said to him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. So I'm just going to have the same question Jesus asked. Where are the other nine? Where are they? They couldn't even take the time to come to Jesus and be grateful for what he did for them. So here's a question. Would they even care to seek Jesus at all if they weren't suffering from the disease? If they weren't outcasts? The minute they were healed, the minute they were able to be accepted back by the world, they left Jesus and they never looked back. Now, uh, we've been here almost seven years. I can't tell you how many people have come to this church broken, needy, helpless, but as soon after being restored, being picked back up and set back on their feet, given love and support and the help they need, they're gone without even a look back. Now, it's not that we're mad about it. We're not. We're not mad at them. We praise the Lord that they were restored. But I look at these folks, I'm brokenhearted for them, honestly, because I look at these folks like the two and a half tribes. Call back Pastor David, two and a half tribes. They settled. What did they settle for? They settled for the fields east of Jordan that were good for cattle instead of striving for the promised land. And again, a lot of us look selfishly, like I had preached last time, selfishly if what we want, what we think we need, what we think we have to have, and that in ungratefulness comes out because of our selfishness. So now, 
We've identified our flaws in the attitude of ingratitude, the distraction of dissatisfaction, and the hateful, hatefulness of ungratefulness. Knowing these flaws, knowing these challenges, how do we make a change? How do we live that more abundant life that the Lord promises to us? So here's my three counterpoints, and it will be done. The first is the attitude of gratitude. The second is the traction of satisfaction. And the third is the great fullness of gratefulness. I had to stretch a little bit on that. <laughs> You'll get it, though. I promise. We'll get there. We will get there. So the first is the attitude of, of gratitude. Now, controlling our attitude is much easier said than done. You know, every, approaching every circumstance with a heart of gratitude, it's not easy. We hear things like, look on the bright side, and don't see the glass half empty, see it as half full. It's often not easy to be grateful when you're in the middle of conflict, or you're suffering physically, mentally, or emotionally. From, a, from an earthly perspective, there may be no bright side. There may be nothing left in that glass to see as half full. But from an eternal perspective, right. how, can we, how can we view these things? Spall, Paul, golly, Spall, who's Paul? New character in the Bible. I just made him up. Paul speaks to this in his letters, in, to the, to, <laughs> letters to Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, that there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it may depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul very eloquently states how to prevent him from being puffed up, from being important, from being, you know, making himself to be of any reputation. That he was given this and is grateful and thankful and rejoicing in having that uh, desire to serve the Lord through that thankfulness. Now, there's no greater pain, in my opinion, this is me, than, lo than losing a loved one. And I, as most of you know, and my father passed away earlier this year after a battle with lung cancer. Now, I could have been angry. I could have been mad at the world. I could have been mad at God. I could have been bitter and discontent. I don't think anybody would have blamed me. I don't think anybody would have. It could very well have broken me. The strongest man that I had ever known, the one I looked to when it came to being a father and a husband, his illness had made it so he couldn't even get out of bed by himself needing help to eat, needing help to drink. He only had the energy in the end to stay awake for about an hour a day. Now, in my brokenness, I could have chose to push away from God, but instead I fell to my knees. Now, looking back, I'm so grateful, so grateful for the time that I had with my dad, the opportunity that we had to take care of him when he couldn't take care of himself. This circumstance brought out love, and patience, and compassion, and my mom, and my sister, and my daughter, 
and my wife and myself that had never been so clear before. So I'm grateful. I am so grateful for the Lord that loves us, the one whose strength carries us through when we are at our weakest. If we never had times of weakness, failure, hurt, pain, frustration, then how can we ever see God's grace? Point number two, the traction of satisfaction. Now, the way that I visualize distractions, if you're trying to get a get to a certain location, uh, but along the path there are things that are grabbing your eye, pulling you off course. Now, uh, as much as we know that our purpose here is to glorify the Lord, as much of our purpose here is to make Him known, many times our lives tend to pull us off that direct path. Now, visualize climbing up a mountain. It's covered in ice. It is slick. It is treacherous. It is like straight up. Every step is slippery. Every step it's easy to slide back and be actually further away from your goal uh, to getting to the top. If we aren't prepared, if we aren't focused, if we do not get traction, then we will never make it to the pinnacle. And we reference Psalm 119 verse 37. It says, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Turn away from beholding vanity. It basically says, don't let me look at worthless things. Let me be full of the Lord. Let me be full of you in my way. And again, Peter. How many miracles had Peter seen? Peter, and you know the story when the disciples are out on the boat and the waves are crashing and the storm is coming and it is dangerous and they're fearing for their own lives. And as they look out, who do they see walking on the waves that they're afraid are going to kill them? It's Jesus. And in Matthew 14, I'm going to jump straight to 29. He says, and he said, Jesus said, come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So he is looking, he is focused, he sees Jesus, he's like, I'm going to him. And he, what happened? He was able to walk on the water. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he started looking around. He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. But when he got traction, when he got focused on Jesus and he cried out, he was instantly saved. Now, we need to be aware of our dissatisfaction. Now, I would say we need to control it. You and me know that that's not possible. It's absolutely not possible. I don't believe we have the power in ourselves to do that. But if we're aware of our distractions, in the moments when it's happening, or dissatisfaction, even in the moment that it's happening, we can cry to the Lord, and just like with Jesus and Peter, he will respond. In Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Believe me, I don't understand it, but it's there. Passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And if you are ever discouraged, if you are ever dissatisfied, if you are ever distracted, this verse, I would just blaze that in your brain. Memorize it. Put it on a bookmark. Whatever you need to do, understand that you, he, it shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that is the only way to overcome that. 
Counterpoint number three, the great fullness of gratefulness. You're like, that's weird. It is. But we're going to get there. I know it's a little bit of a stretch on the verbiage, but just take a minute to think. When you're grateful and when you're not thankful and when you're not grateful and when you're not appreciative and you're not happy with what you have, how do you feel? Empty? Almost, I feel almost hungry. Come on, it's a stretch. I'm pulling you in. But anyway, no, seriously, if you are dissatisfied, if you're ungrateful, if you're not appreciative, we do. We feel empty. We feel hungry. We want more. We desire more. We need more when we are dissatisfied. Now, if I walked up to you in church, church is over, everybody's shaking hands, loving on each other, and I walk up to you and I said, hey, you know what? I, I love you. I appreciate everything that you do. You're just an awesome individual. Look, you know, the Lord laid out my heart just to give you this hundred dollars. I just, I mean, I just felt led to do it, and I think you deserve it. And just thank you for just being who you are. And and I, how would you feel? Would you feel grateful? Because Pearl's like me. <laughs> would you feel grateful? Would you feel thankful? Appreciative? Full maybe? But in the next minute, I'm five feet away, and Miss Susan's standing there, and I'm loving on Miss Susan and giving her hugs. And I say, Miss Susan, I love you. You're awesome. I appreciate everything you do. Um, just for being an awesome, awesome, wonderful person, and you're hearing this, I just wanted to give you this $1,000. You know, just because the Lord laid it on my heart, and I think, and Miss Pearl's standing there with $100 going, <laughs> You're going to be like, dang, I only got $100. Now, how were you before? A minute ago, remember the Israelites? One verse before, praise the Lord. Thank God for you know, letting us you know, overcome the Canaanites. And then what happened Like literally the next? Like, man, well, we're, 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 eating, you know, we're eating manna. You know, we're, we're walking through the world. What in the world? How are we? You got 100 bucks in your hand. Why aren't you grateful for that? Why aren't you satisfied with that? Why aren't you happy with that? Someone else got $1,000. Well, what am I doing? I'm dissatisfied. And through that, I don't feel full. I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel like I have what I deserve. Now, don't, exci- don't get excited. I have like $8 on my wallet right now. So do not, don't get excited. Anything close to that. I'm not, here's a dollar. Charlie, happy birthday. Here's your dollar. That's, that's all I got for you. It's about all I can do today. But my point is we're grateful for, if we are grateful, are we grateful, sorry, are we grateful for what God has done in our lives without comparing what we have to what others have in their lives? And even so, we shouldn't put so much value on physical blessings that we may see on earth here anyways. In Matthew 6, verse 19, it says, Lay not up yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, uh, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there what? Will your heart be also. Do we want our heart to be with the world? We want our heart to be with Christ. We want our heart to be with the Lord. Now, in closing, I'm sure, uh, I'm not sure how well I'm going to make through this, honestly, but I'm going to try. Because I want to tell you about the grateful list. What the grateful list is, is something when my father was getting near the end of his life, 
and we got the phone call that hospice was being called in. Um, doctors knew his time was short, and a social worker had come to talk to him and talk to us and kind of prepare us and, and do whatever we possibly could to make his life enjoyable you know, at the end, and also for us to be able to enjoy that time uh, with him. She discussed how important it was, uh, as important it was as his health, and his mobility and activity degraded that we did whatever we possibly could to keep a positive attitude. This would give him more incentive to fight the illness, but it would also improve the quality of life that he had remaining. The one thing that was paramount was what we called the grateful list. Every night after dinner, we sat around the table, and he was supposed to tell us three things that he was grateful for that day. Now, funny enough, after a few days of doing this, it evolved toward each one of us, which are three things that we were grateful for that day. Now, in those moments, in a family that over the last 50 years or so had disagreements, had arguments, had differences of opinions, and conflicts that ended in yelling and arguing and hurt feelings, there was more love. There's more compassion, more support, more understanding than I had ever experienced before. My father was dying. We knew it, and then we knew it was going to be any day. But in those moments, and having grateful hearts, and relying on the Lord's strength, we were as joyful as I think we had ever been as a family. It's sad that we often wait till the end of our lives to look back at what we're grateful for. In his last days, my dad never talked about how there were times that we struggled financially, times when his children were disobedient and disrespectful, times when there were fights in our home between either him and my mom, or with us kids, or with everybody. Taking the time to be grateful brought us all together, and I believe brought him a great sense of peace. Now, the challenge I put forth to us all is this. From the moment that we wake up, until the moment we lay our head down, can we be grateful? In every circumstance, in every seemingly bad situation, can we be grateful? We may say it's easy to be grateful when everything's going good, but most of the times things aren't going good. What if that's just the Lord trying to get your attention? What if it's just God giving you a chance to surrender your will and give in to His? What if it is a chance that you have in your life to be the person that God created you to be, to rejoice and worship Him in all things? And I'll reference 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 16 says, very simply, rejoice evermore. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. And in verse 18 it says, in everything, everything, Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Amen. A very specific verse that lays it out. In, in what things? Everything. What should we do? Give thanks. It is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's not me up here pointing to you. You should do this. I should do this. This is the Lord speaking to my heart, speaking to your heart. How do we go about doing it? It's not easy. It's not simple. It is not something you just wake up and naturally, as a child, we tend to go the other direction. 
But we need to focus. We need to not be distracted. We need to be grateful for everything that the Lord's given to us. And I am so grateful. And I am so thankful what the Lord's done in my life. And I know that I fall short. You know, I know that I don't wake up every day. You know, rainbows and butterflies. Yay, let's go. But if we take the time and we take a breath and we realize that gratitude is the way to worship him, I think the impact that we can make on ourselves, the impact we can make on our Christian brothers and sisters, the impact that we can make to a lost world, only God knows. Only the Lord knows. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you. Lord, I just pray, you know, as I just submit myself to your will and way today, Lord, I just pray that these verses touched hearts. I just pray, Lord, I know that through this week I have become much more grateful. I have become much more aware of my dissatisfaction, much more aware of the things that, uh, that I've placed ahead of you, Lord, that I shouldn't. Uh, and Lord, I just pray that there anyone here today, Lord, that just needs to, to be free of the bondage of those sins, of the dissatisfaction, of the ingratitude. I just pray that today would be the day, oh Lord, that they just turn to you and not be as the Israelites are and dissatisfied after the miracles you provided in their lives, but I pray that they would be grateful and thankful and heartfelt and their desire to serve you. But Lord, I know if there's someone here today that has never had the opportunity in their life to accept Christ, and if there's someone here that said, I don't know if I have a personal relationship with the Lord. I don't know if I can be grateful. I don't know if I can have the thanksgiving that you're speaking about. I just don't know if I have that relationship. If there's anyone here today that needs to know Christ as their Savior, He loves you. He knows that you're a sinner. He knows that you and I don't deserve heaven. He knows that that relationship is broken between us and the Lord. And if that one person sitting in the service or watching online, I just pray that you take this time. It's not a magic prayer that I'm going to say. I obviously am not eloquent. You know, I don't have magic words to speak. It's not a ceremony. It is just a heartfelt time to come to the Lord. A heartfelt time to understand that we're all sinners and that we fall short, but that Christ died on the cross so that we may have that relationship and we may have a home everlasting in heaven with the Lord. So if you're sitting in the service today, you're watching online, you're watching this recorded, you know, I'm going to say a prayer. And again, you don't have to say it out loud. You can say it in your head and your heart. But if this is the time, you know, I pray that you would uh, pray to accept Jesus in your heart to have that relationship and have that salvation. So if you don't have that relationship with Christ and you desire and you want to have that, just repeat after me in your head and in your hearts. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I fall short. I know I don't deserve heaven. I know I don't deserve a relationship with you. But I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross, sinless, perfect, taking our sin away. And Lord, I accept that you died for my sins. I accept that you died so that I may have that relationship with you. Lord, forgive me. I love you. I thank you. And I accept you into my heart as my Savior. I pray this in Jesus' name.